2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. Like for, to whatever he presents up front or with his colleagues or the young adults at that church, like behind closed doors, it's like, I just know that th- there was a shift that happened, like a darkness. But then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to stay with him. And I'm like, what? Come again? He says, I have changed him. And it was the exact words that I had been writing for over a year, like change his heart. He says, I have changed him. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with Jayla Cornejo. And, uh... If I am not incorrect, five years ago today is when a large part of this story uh, went down. And if you've heard Eddie's episode and now you're on Jayla's, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. So um, this is a five-year anniversary episode. I have never seen the like. I have never heard a story like it. Uh, Jayla, of course, is my sister. And I'm not going to step on the the podcast at all you need to listen to this mug and you need to send it to your homies uh, that being said buckle up strap in love y'all appreciate y'all man this is real talk god is loving on me colorful and innocent that's on me got me standing in the light and it's on me it's a new heart it's a new beat it's a new thing it's a new seat it's a new king it's a new dream so I'm sitting here thinking about everyone I've done a podcast with. And I'm going back and I'm going back. And I think I've known Jonathan since 1999. But I think I've known you since 1997? It could have been 1996. And as I'm thinking about... I'm trying to think like when it's the 96. first time it's 96 the, is the first. Okay. 96. I'm trying yeah. to think the first time I met you and I knew that 
there was a couple things I'm like, oh, I have something in common with her. Number one was you were also from Nebraska. And I grew up in Nebraska. Like for two years, we lived in Omaha. And you're from Nebraska. And then I'm just like, oh, she's super, she likes basketball. She's super tall. And I remember being low key intimidated. And I remember, and this, I'm just spitting back all this information that I remember, that there was this buzz at the school we were going to that you were coming. And I, I think it was either my friend Katie or I don't know who it was, but that Jayla and Katie Cole. Yeah, Katie Cole. The Jayla was coming. And um, obviously through the years, you were pretty tight with some of our tight friends, but we weren't the best friends, but you were really close with Alyssa. Shout out to Alyssa Valenzuela. That's right. Listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. But we weren't enemies. We just, we had some mutual friends. You were just uh, two grades ahead of me, I think, or one, no, two. No, one. A couple of grades. One. Yeah. And you had been at Midland a little bit longer than me and lived in the area and went to like, you know, New Haven Church. So you kind of had your own little, you know, posse that you hung out, which was just totally cool. But I always thought you was you were cool. And like, I didn't have that opinion of you like some people have. Like, Richard, he's annoying. I thought you were annoying, but I still thought you were cool. Okay. Like, <laughs> where other people were like, he's just annoying, but not cool. I thought, yeah, okay. he's cool. Right. I, I liked you. And I like Miriam. And I loved Mike. And I thought your mom was awesome. So I always but, had, yeah. But it's cool that we were little, we were little kids. Like we were a junior high. We weren't yeah, even in high school. Up. Eighth so grade. It, yeah. And so I just thought that was cool. I'm like, wow, unless I uh, interview um, like someone like directly related to me, I don't think I'm going to interview anyone that I've known longer than you. You're right at the edge of someone who I would <laughs> would interview. And I just think that's so cool. So who was this girl, Jayla? Who was this girl, this really tall, very confident, sweet girl uh, growing up? Nebraska, Kansas City. Yeah. So yeah, we can kind of start uh, in middle school, maybe jump around. Um, but when I came to Midland, um, it was actually it was 97, not 96. I had come third, fourth grade year, but you weren't there. You hit right. later. So um, and the reason why I had decided to come was because my parents had divorced when I was six years old. And so I would kind of go back and forth between um seeing my mom and seeing my dad. But I, for the most part, I lived with my mom. Um, I was always convicted at an early age, like about, um, like, yeah, the truth of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was really meaningful to me and, you know, just raised in an Adventist church. And so I, um, so the truth of the Sabbath is that, um, in your faith tradition, the Sabbath is the seventh day, and that's the day that you go to church on. That's the day that you rest on. Right. And you you really believed like that was the day just because of your upbringing. Yeah, just because of my upbringing. I believe that was the day. So when my parents divorced and I was living with my mother, um, we stopped going to church, which was something that I really enjoyed. Um, and then that just stopped. The only time I would go to church is if I went to visit my dad. Um, but I did... Um, that was early on when I was younger, but then mm -hmm. as I got older, maybe, oh, this is what happened. So 
my parents got divorced and my mom was single for a few years and we were kind of bouncing around from different people's houses, friends' houses. We lived with my grandparents for a couple of years. Um, but then my mom, um, she put me in this school. It was called Three Angels. It was in Wichita, Kansas. And at that time, I would have been um, a fourth grader. Um, and it was there that I had, uh, her name was Joyce Royal. She was my teacher. She mm-hmm. taught my sister before. And they had put me in that school because I had always struggled academically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the divorce didn't help going mm. back and forth to different homes. And each year I had a different school and my mom had to work a lot because she was a single mom. So I just um, really struggled in school. And for the majority of my elementary, middle school, and even some of high school, I just felt that I, um, not that I was dumb or stupid, but just that I wasn't smart. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that's a thing, like, it's like, I know I'm not dumb. Like I'm making decent grades, but I'm just not like some of the people I know that school just comes easy for me. School was always a struggle. I always struggled in school, mm-hmm. especially taking tests. And so, um, I was struggling in school. The thing is that you probably don't know about me, Richard, is that I, this is wild. Like the school system is just crazy. So I have never completed second grade or, well, no, no, second grade or fourth grade. So it was my fifth grade year that I went to, um, three ages. Yeah. Um, so I, um, didn't do well in first grade. I went to second grade. I guess they assessed me. The teachers were like, you need to repeat first grade again. So I repeated first grade again. And then they didn't want to hold me back. So then they, I skipped second. <laughs> like these are fundamental <laughs> years. And went yeah. to third. This is in the public school system. Went to uh-huh. third grade. Uh, of course, I didn't do well in third grade. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because I didn't have you second grade. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then um, they were like, well, you're going to have to repeat your third grade year. Because I, oh. I, so I repeated oh my, my third grade year and then I moved around. We were going to, I moved to a different state. And then that state was just like, well, based on your age and like my parents started me later because they were like, you need to start your kids later, which I'm all for that. But as mm-hmm. long as you're preparing them for when they actually go to school. Mm-hmm. So when I got to that school system, they just looked at my age and they're like, okay, well, you're in fourth grade based off of this. So I have actually never, <laughs> uh, no, you're in fifth grade based off of this. Right. So um, I had actually never completed second or fourth. So you're, <laughs> isn't that wild? That That's crazy. And I don't I think you knew me, that about me. No, I didn't. I knew that, <laughs> I think I knew that you had bounced around a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew your parents yeah. were divorced. I Your dad was like this big character and was a, like a really friendly guy. And I think... One of the first things I knew about you as a person was you seemed really confident, but you would fight back. Like, no one, like, you weren't a pushover. You were, um, I remember my, my homie, Mike, would like try to make fun of you. Like, he made fun, like, there were two Mikes in our school that made fun they of you. They both of them. Yeah, they just both made fun of everybody. Uh, and uh, one of them was like a smoother guy to make fun of people. And the other one was just like loud, like, I'm gonna make fun of you. Mm-hmm. And I remember 
that you really wouldn't take anything from either. No, nope, I come for both of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh wow, she she's not playing around. And I I mean, was, was it protecting yourself or like being kind of on the on the defense all the time? Was that something that was just created in you from all of the upheaval and, and moving around and, and kind of protecting No, yourself? I don't think it was protecting myself. I really, I think it's just my personality. Um, I really just love a good joke. I'm someone who can dish it out and also take it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not like, let me make fun of you. And then you turn around and make fun of me. I'm like, oh, it's like that now. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to dish it out. I really enjoy a good, a good joke, a good laugh. So I, Mike Moss, uh, we were in the same grade. He was one of my favorite people in school because we would just clown back and forth. And mm. it was cool. I knew he wasn't offended. I could come for him and it was fine. He could come for me. It was fine. It wasn't like, now I got to go apologize and make amends right. So it was like, you know, kind of like how you and I joke around, like we've got mm-hmm. this thing where mm-hmm. like, if people didn't know us, they'd be like, oh, they really don't like each other. But that's right, not the right. case. Like it's this game that we play where we both enjoy like yeah. clowning on people and it's a safe space because we know that they're not going to, you know, so it was just selecting and choosing the people that I could, you know, mess around with knowing that they, that they enjoyed that. Um, but as far as me not backing down, um, that's, that's kind of a different thing. Like just goofing around, joking around. That's something I enjoy, but then like not backing down. Um, I wouldn't, it wasn't a defense thing because I'm in general, I'm a peacemaker. I have Mm. a, big blended family. So at that time, when you met me, this was my dad's second marriage and I had two stepsisters and then I had uh, two other siblings. So there are five of us living in the mm-hmm. house and amongst um, the five of us, I would say me and my uh, stepsister Lois, like we, we are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the backing down just came from a confidence, which I absolutely did have. Like I've mm-hmm. always been confident And it wasn't even a confidence that was like, let me just pretend that I'm confident or let me, I want people to perceive me this way. Like I was legit confident. Like I've always known who not, who I am. Now I've grown up in that. I've matured. I've been able to steward that confidence because, um, I think there are times maybe it could have come off as like Mm self-centered or, um, yeah, but, but yeah, I've always been confident because I've known that I'm a child of God. So, yeah, that's a good segue into my, my next question. Like, who was God to you as you're growing up, as you're entering into high school? Like, what kind of, did you have a relationship, or did you just know a lot of, like, biblical stuff, or who was God to you? So, um, I've always been sensitive to God. Um, and I remember the first time I heard His voice, it was when I was, after my parents got divorced, so I'm thinking probably... Um, towards the end of when I turned five or early when I was six. But I just remember um, I was feeling kind of sad and not really understanding. Like my parents were like, we're going to get a divorce. And as a six-year-old, like not really knowing what that is, the the dynamics of that, but knowing that it's not a good thing and just knowing that my parents aren't going to be together. And so that was making me sad. And I remember... I was in my room late at night and I heard this voice in my head and it Mm -hmm. said, Jayla, I love you. And Mm -hmm. I just knew it was God because I didn't have imaginary friends (laughs) at that point. I wasn't like, I wasn't like thinking in my mind or talking to myself. It was just like, 
Jayla, I love you. And logically, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's God. And so it's been so cool to know that I've been walking with him. He's been walking with me since I was mm-hmm. six years old. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it has changed everything. It's changed the trajectory of my life, how I've lived my life. And, and the thing is, like, um, I was really kind of naive mm-hmm. to the fact that a lot of people don't know how much they're loved by God. Mm. that's something that I could never wrap my mind around Um, because there's never been a moment in my life ever, ever, ever where I thought Jesus didn't love me. Mm. Like that's not even a part of my makeup. It's not a part of my thinking. Like I've just always known that I'm loved by God. And because of that, um, it's made me super confident, but then also it made me in a weird kind of way, unintentionally, it made me judgmental. Hmm. Because I was like, not to people who weren't Christians, but people who were in the church, who grew up knowing about God, because they heard from their parents, or they heard from their pastors, or if they went to a Christian school, they heard like, God loves you. So Hmm. in my mind, Jesus is like um, the Holy Spirit at that time. I didn't know, you know, the the difference between the Trinity. I didn't know it was the the Holy Spirit that was speaking to me as a six-year-old. But um but in my mind, I'm just like, if you're a Christian and you've been raised knowing these things about God, like, I don't understand what's so difficult. Like, why, why can't you believe that God loves you? Hmm. Um, because just like I've always known that God has loved me. Yeah. Um, and because I've known that God has loved me, I've lived my life differently. I've made, I've made. I've made good choices. And some mm-hmm. of that was because of how I was raised and uh, because of the works mindset that religion so many times presents. Mm-hmm. But also, I just chose the right things because it's like, well, I love God. And duh, it makes sense that I wouldn't do A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. But then I would look at other people who were in the church or who were Christians, and it's like they're doing the things that they shouldn't do. And, and they're saying that. They love Jesus, but it was really, they just didn't know how much they, that God loved them. They didn't know that they were fully known and fully mm. loved. And they didn't know that God saw them as a child and that God saw them righteous. And that before the foundations of the world, he like predestined them. They didn't know all those things. So therefore they were acting out and doing these foolish things. So, um, it was a beautiful thing, but I really had to grow up in the understanding that not everyone understands that they're loved by God. Yeah. That's uh that's I, I think I resonate with um that experience of knowing something and how come other people don't know this and if they only knew this, it would change everything for them. But that mindset's not always great. Like you were talking about the Sabbath earlier. I had that idea about the Sabbath. I think yours is a lot deeper and more meaningful because but when I'm like, oh, these people don't know about the Sabbath, and I would cause me to look down on people. Um, and so I resonate with that, making it a tiny bit du- judgmental, or how do you not know that that God loves you? And then you can see why people are making the decisions that they're making. Um, as, as you're, you know, we're, I want to move forward a little bit. When did you decide that you wanted to go into a career 
with something related to theology or religion or God? Um, so probably eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I remember I was running for, I think I was like class pastor. They did that in eighth grade. You know, you have the mm-hmm. officers. So I was class pastor and I would lead out in like devotionals. Um, and I enjoyed that. And then I remember like, because, you know, our, our academy was connected, the elementary, middle and high school, they were all connected. Like as an eighth grader, you could run for an office or maybe that wasn't true. Maybe I just ran as a freshman. I don't know, but I was running against Aaron Perky pile as religious vice president. <laughs> And he had been there longer, <laughs> knew more people, cooler. And I lost, <laughs> which is fine. Not been there at all. No, <laughs> but it was then that I was like really disappointed, not because I had lost, but because I felt like I had lost an opportunity to like share and talk about Jesus. But Aaron mm-hmm. did a, he, he did a fine job. Like it's whatever, it doesn't matter. But that's when it was kind of like, oh, like telling people about Jesus and and preaching and speaking, that's something that I want to do. And I'm glad you asked me that question because I actually didn't know that that was the first time I thought that this is what I want to do until now. But then I went off to, um, in sophomore year. So I was going to Berlin, um, eighth grade freshman, and then a couple of months in my sophomore year, but then we ended up going to Sunnydale, Mm -hmm. um, because it was too far of a commute for us. We had to drive so an hour and a half, uh, one way, so three hours every day, crazy. My parents are crazy, um, <laughs> wild, just to go to Midland because they believed in Adventist education or Christian education. And so, but then that gets old and they're like, nah, you're going to Sunnydale, <laughs> which I don't blame them. <laughs> so That's I went to Sunnydale. And, um, but my junior, senior year, I uh, was religious vice president or whatever, or religious vice, I don't know what you call it. So for the school. And I would do things for like the Bible teacher. And there was like this little church that oh, in Mexico, Missouri, that I would go and preach at. So um, I have just always, because I've loved God and um, yeah. And I remember even in the dorm, I was an RA my junior, senior year, and I would have like Bible studies with the girls uh, in their rooms and just pray with people. Um, so yeah, I just always loved ministry. Yeah. And so when you're going to college, are you just like, yeah, this just fits me. I've been doing this for so long. This is what I want to do. Did you want to be a pastor? Did you want to be a Bible teacher? What, what did um, you, you I want? I didn't want to be a pastor. I, I thought, yeah, I would love to be a Bible teacher for sure. Um, but the reality of it was, is I didn't think, like I, um, Like, once again, I was a a terrible test taker. So it was really hard for me to get into Southern. But actually listening to one of your podcasts, you're like, no, you can get into any. (laughs) When you were recruiting, you're like, you're like, you can get into any Adventist college. So I didn't do well my ACT score. um, And I had to take it again. And then they let me on like academic probation, which was so like laughable to me because my grades, the papers, the the assignments I would turn in, I would get A's and B's, but the test would bring me down. Like I didn't get the professional help that I needed, which I should have got when I was younger. And so like some of my classes, like I would have a B, I would always get an A in Bible and math was okay. I would get B's in math because it was just made so much sense, but it was the reading part, the comprehension part. Like I would read something and be like, okay, 
what did I just read? And I have to read it three or four times. But if you're reading a, a simple question or a word problem four times, and you only have 40 minutes to take a test, you're only getting halfway through a test. So I wouldn't be able to finish the test, and especially mm. on the ACT test. Like I would just have to like go through, fill in the bubbles so that I wouldn't run out of time. So it wasn't that. Yeah. So um, my grades were uh, my ACT score, my my uh, grades, my transcript from high school, they were fine, but it was oh, just yeah. the, the ACT score. So that was really low. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, I can't do anything that's going to require. Um, I mean, I already know, knew I wanted to do religion. I wasn't using that as an excuse. But as far as like being a Bible teacher, I wanted to be a Bible teacher. But I was just like, I don't know if I'll be able to pass the um, teacher. What is it called? <laughs> I can't think of it right now. Just the, the this, ed- education certification. Yeah, the, and edu- all that the, edu- the education certification. So because I knew. Um, my track rest record for taking tests, I decided to do religion. Huh. So how that's, did that make you feel about yourself? Like, was that tough? It was tough uh, for sure. My junior, senior year in academy, when you're seeing the, like the student council, uh, what do they call the, the guidance counselor? And, mm-hmm. and, and she knew my struggle with, with, with uh, taking tests and everything like that was kind of difficult, but it was interesting because, you know, I always had this voice in my head, which was the Holy Spirit. I would, there, you know, I would get down, like when I take a test and I'd be like, I knew I wasn't stupid. Right. But it was just so discouraging. I would feel so sad. And there are times when I thought like, this is a reflection of me, but Hmm. then the Holy Spirit would just be like, yeah, but what's the truth. Right. And I was like, yeah, the truth is like, I'm not lazy. I'm a hard worker. I'm doing my best. And then I just had to, and, and I would move on. That would give me, that would give me peace because that was actually the reality. It yeah. wasn't like I was just joking around or, yeah. or procrastinating. I just, I couldn't comprehend it. And I remember even my dad, he remembers saying like, he knew that I struggled even early on because he would, I would wake up early before my siblings to, to do my homework, to get it mm-hmm. done because I just needed the extra time. So the Holy Spirit would just remind me like, hey, don't let these test scores. Um, yeah, it, it's not true. Like it's not, it's not a reflection of how you are because I did actually take pride in being a hard worker. Like mm-hmm. everyone in my family, there are hard workers, my sister, my brother, like we have been doing chores <laughs> since we were young, since I can remember doing dishes, laundry. Um, even when I was at, um, in three, at three angels in fifth grade, I -hmm. was, um, I cleaned and vacuumed the classrooms and helped the bathroom. I got paid for that and put it towards my school bill. I don't know about child labor labor laws now, if I'd be (laughs) allowed to do that, but back in the day it was fine and I could work to pay off my school bill. Um, so I've always just been a hard worker. Um, and I took pride in that, but when I would get these low test scores, it was just like, it would hit, hurt my pride and be like, you know, maybe my teachers think I'm lazy or maybe these enrollment counselors who didn't even know me at Southern, maybe they are going to think this way about me. But right. then I would just be, have to be like, no, the truth is like, I'm just trying to survive. I'm doing mm-hmm. my best. Absolutely. So you, you get to college and how did that, how did that go your first few years of college and you're, you're working on this degree? 
I, I remember hearing that you were doing super well there and you were like, oh, Jayla's, you know, super popular. I don't know how we judge how someone's doing well in college from another school, but like your friends go somewhere else. Well, it's really, like, it's how really, are they doing? it's really to be popular when you're going to a school that has 2000 people. So let's just say that <laughs> like, yeah. everyone's popular, you know, everyone. Yeah, no, but you know, I really thrived at Southern. It was such a good experience for me. And I really thrived at Sunnydale. And Midland, it was, I love Midland. The people at Midland were so nice to me. When I got to middle school, that was the first time in my life that I experienced um, my peers being nice to me in school. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, um, so if you don't know something about me, um, because if you've never met me in person, I'm extremely tall. I'm 6'2". Mm-hmm. And I have big hair, so add the hair. And sometimes if I wear heels, you know, I'd be looking like a giant walking around. <laughs> so <laughs> I've always been tall. Like I've been this tall since a freshman in uh, high school. But it was hard because uh, my step, my dad and my stepmom at the time, they were not, they did not have a healthy marriage. And because it wasn't healthy, you know, it, it affected us as, as kids. And um, also my dad and I were, were really close. We always have been, and we've been close on a spiritual level, mm-hmm. um, where my sister and my brother, um, not so much my brother, but my sister, she didn't want anything to do with, with God, um, or religion and rightfully so. Um, and so she, that, that kind of put a wall, it shouldn't have, but that put a wall between her and my father. And my brother, you know, he's always loved Jesus, but he was struggling, making some poor decisions. So, and so my dad and I were close and that caused some tension between, um, my stepmother and I, and it was perceived that I was the favorite child. And then that was, that was echoed to my stepsister. So there was just, I don't want to go into too much detail about that for sake of, you know, honoring my family, but it was not a good situation. And mm-hmm. I was so relieved to get to Sunnydale to be out of that environment, even though I love my siblings. I love my dad. I didn't at the time. I did not care for my stepmother. Um, so I just it, it was so good for me to get away and get to Sunnydale and mm-hmm. just, just have I just grew so much um, in that experience. And, and then not to be at my mom, because my mom, I, I you know, it was hard for me to um, be be a Christian. <laughs> I mean, which is kind of silly now with all the growth that I've had, like you can be a Christian anywhere. But in my mind, I thought like, well, I can't keep the Sabbath because she's listening to secular music or she has the TV on, on Saturday, or I can't always go to church, which, you know, that's so <laughs> you can serve God wherever, but it felt good to be in an environment in a, mm-hmm. in a Christian school where like-minded um, people. Yeah. Like-minded people. So I get to Southern and it was the same thing, just like Sunnydale, like, it was a bigger campus, better opportunities. Another thing that I found out, like when at, at the academy that I went to, I think in my graduating class, there were maybe 26, 27 people. It was small. And then I get to Southern and I'm like, oh, so like, yeah, at, at Sunnydale, like I had to hang out with these people. I had to be friends with these people. I didn't have a choice. And I liked them. So it was fine. But when I got to Southern, I'm like, oh, okay, I get to choose my friends. <laughs> I didn't know that you could choose your friends. So it's like I got to choose people that were like-minded and people that I <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with. And I got to be involved in they had a lot more things to do, like sports-wise and, and 
and extracurricular classes. And it was just a beautiful area, uh, the Chattanooga area. So yeah, I, I, I really love Southern. I thrived uh, not so much academically, but that was no surprise. But just spiritually, I grew a lot there, had a lot of leadership positions and uh, just grew my friendships. And it was just, I really enjoyed Southern. It was positive for me. So if I, if I remember correctly, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you might not have dated that many people up until you got to college. Did you no. date anyone in high school or just have like, no. a, maybe you had a crush on someone, but I don't remember you dating anyone. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. I had crushes on a lot of people, but then I would talk myself out of it because I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm not nah. about that. <laughs> so when you get to college, what was your mindset about like dating and what were, what were things you're like that were super important to you that you were looking for? Were you serious about it? I mean, this is what people, they act like they're not thinking about it, but when you get to college, especially in like a Christian environment, like that's the place where you find the one, right? That's mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. What was your mindset towards all of that? Well, my mindset for sure, my freshman year, because I was on academic probation, um, I, I, I did not want to date my, my freshman year. Um, and I didn't, I had a couple opportunities and there's this one guy I'm like, man, he looks so good <laughs> superficially. Like I'm like, mm, mm, mm. but I was like, nah, I, I got to stay focused. So I didn't date my freshman year, but that was by choice. My sophomore year, I had a couple of crushes on people, but it it just, it didn't turn into anything. My junior year, there's this guy that uh, we, we were really close, but, you know, I didn't think that he was right for me. So no, no, I didn't date anyone. All the way up until your senior year? All the way up to my senior year. I went on some dates, but then after the first date, I was just like, no. <laughs> Man, <laughs> that's not gonna work out. That, that's yeah, but I th I went on two dates. So when I say dates, we're not talking like ten. I went on two dates, two different dates, and then before I actually dated Eddie, who is now my husband. So were you thinking what like after like getting to your senior year, and you've been on two dates the whole time? What are you thinking? Were you just like? I wonder if I'm going to find something. Were you in a hurry? Were you nervous? Or were you like, it's all good? Um, it was a, a mix, a mixture of things. I definitely wanted to have a boyfriend, but I didn't want to settle. And, but then I was also like, Hey, it's, I'm a senior. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to graduate and I'm never going to get married. I mean, I guess that's cool. That's fine. Or I guess God will bring me someone. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Like I wanted to, but then I was also like, I'm probably not going to like the reality of it is like, I'll probably just be single for the rest of my life. And part of me was like totally cool with that because I was so secure in who I was. Um, but then also like the desires of my heart. So it's like, okay, God, I'm secure. I know who I am, but the desires of my heart are like, I want to marry. I want to get married. Like, how come you haven't given me the desires of my heart? What's up with that? <laughs> So it's a weird mixture going on. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, when is it that you run into this, uh, this Eddie Cornejo character? Well, I had actually seen him my sophomore year. And uh -huh. we had this thing called Intense. It was like this outside, outdoor, like revival thing that they had in this big circus tent. 
And I see this man walking across. I say man, this boy. I don't know how old he was. 20 probably. (laughs) A child. (laughs) But I see this guy walking across the tent. And I'm just like, oh, hold up. Now, who is this? Now, this is this is fine. This 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 brother oh be gosh. looking fine. <laughs> and then like this girl comes up uh, behind him and like grabs his hand. And I'm like, oh, OK, never mind. He got a girlfriend. But that so that was the first time I saw him. So I had always thought he was good looking. Then I went away as a as a task force worker. I became an assistant dean for a year. And when I came back that year. Uh, I started taking some upper level religion classes and he was in my Greek class and I walk in there and, you know, it's the first day you're kind of scoping everyone out. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. There's that guy that I thought was so hot a couple of years ago. Cause I hadn't like seen him for two years. Cause he was nursing when I had first seen him. Actually he was wearing scrubs when he was walking across or he was mm-hmm. trying to get nursing. I don't know. He wasn't wearing scrubs. I made that up. Maybe his girlfriend was wearing scrubs cause she was uh, at the time she was a nursing. Yeah. So, um, I was like, there's that good looking guy. And I just remember thinking, man, he's so, we used to use the word fine. I don't think anyone uses that word anymore. <laughs> I was like, he is so fine. Mm-mm, I want to make him mine. No, I didn't say that. I just thought he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I did that one for you, Richard. Yeah, that's good. So I thought he was good looking, but beyond that, that was it. It was just all physical. I mean, uh-huh. I was like, he's shorter than me and he's scrawny, but like that face. He's shorter and scrawny. But that face, I could look at that face all day. Did you did you know anything of his reputation when No. Uh, and he didn't have a bad reputation uh-huh. in the sense of like like because he had been dating this girl his whole time being at Southern. And um and I didn't even know that he led up front. I don't know if we were going to the different Vespers or if I missed the Vespers that anyways, I didn't know that he could even play guitar. I didn't know much about him. So he was just a normal dude. Just a normal goofy guy. guy. Yeah. Goofy guy. We had some mutual friends. Like he was friends uh, with some of the homies I hung out with in the religion department. So then you guys just start hanging out? Um, Yeah. Because we had a couple of classes when I got back from being a task force worker, a couple of classes. And at the time he was still um, with his girlfriend, which is really cool because um, I could just hang out with him and just be like friends because I'm not a homewrecker. I'm not trying to date someone who's taken or take someone else's man. So I'm just like, nah, it's cool. Like, so I really didn't. I just thought he's a good looking guy, but that's it. There was no feelings, totally none of that. Um, so we were just hanging out that junior year. Um, and then the summer happened and he was having some drama with his girlfriend. And I was like, yo, you need to read this book called um, Wild at Heart. So I'm like, Go read this book. So he read it. After that, he broke up with his girlfriend. But I didn't tell him to break up with his girlfriend because I wasn't trying to get with him. I was just like, y'all don't need to be be together. (laughs) Go read this book. (laughs) I didn't say that to him, but that's what I'm thinking. So he broke up and we started hanging out a little bit more. Um, And my friend Jadra, you know her. She's episode three, four? Episode three, yeah. Episode three, Death to Life. She's my homie now. I've known her for a good minute, longer than I've known you since... uh, elementary school she was she had transferred from union college uh to southern um her to do yeah she had transferred so she was there at southern with me and i was telling her that like i think that i'm starting to have uh feelings for eddie because we have been good friends for um a a year just just homies and i was just like but i don't know like 
he's got baggage with his ex-girlfriend and I know that he's probably has slept around and had sex with her. And, you know, she knew that I was a virgin. She knew I didn't want to marry anyone who wasn't. And I'm like, and he's, he just doesn't take life serious. Like me, I'm, I'm serious. Like I'm like, I'm goofy and I mess around, but I'm a very serious person. Uh-huh. So I'm just like, nah. And I was like, and I think he has feelings for me. Like if I were to call him out on it, like, I think he probably has feelings for me. And so JJ was just like, girl, you've never dated anyone. She's like, if you like him, then, I mean, you can just go on a couple of dates with him. He can just be your practice boyfriend. It's not like you have to marry him. So thanks, Jadra. My practice boyfriend turned into my husband. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a practice husband either. So that's how it happened. And you guys just kind of got a little bit more serious. Um, so... So yeah, we were hanging out and um, I was just like, you like me. Just straight up like that. That's One day so we were hanging cool. out plus. He's, I was like, you like me. No beating around the bush. And he was just like, kind of just stopped. And he was like, girl, you into yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and his response was so funny to me. I didn't laugh. Inside my head, I was laughing. But yeah. I was just like, whatever, you like me. He's like, no, what makes you think I like you? I was like, uh, you're always hanging around me. You're always coming over to my apartment. You got the same classes as me. Like, I was like, so I don't, I don't understand. Like, am I wrong? And he's like, nah, nah, nah. But then he thought about it for a couple of days. And he's like, oh, yeah, I actually do like her. <laughs> so then he sent me like a, I don't know what it was called back then. When you, t- not messenger, but it was like messenger. What was that? Like. Was it an instant message? Yeah, instant message. So then we were instant messaging. And um, he was like, um, yeah, I guess you're right. I do think I like you. I was like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> That's basically how it was. In your face. In your you face. <laughs> yeah. And so then we were kind of hanging out. So he admitted that he liked me. And then I was over at his apartment. And we were watching this movie. And like he tried to like put his arm around me. I was like, no, nope, you can't do that. So I wouldn't let him. And then um, there was another time, like, we were just hanging out, and he, like, tried to hold my hand. And I was like, why are you trying to hold my hand? I'm not your girlfriend. So that was that. I cut that off. So anyways, I, and then I had to, so then we had a serious conversation. I'm like, okay, obviously you like me. You've been trying to make some moves on me. Um, And I actually like you. I, I like you, too, a lot. And the reason why I liked Eddie was because he was the first guy who was not intimidated by me. Uh-huh. Um, and and it's, it's even deeper than that. He was the first guy that I could be myself. And not that when you met Jayla, you, you, you received a fake version of Jayla, but you received a toned down version. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to come. Unless like we're really homies and I really know you, then you're going to get the full force. But All if right. you're like... If I don't know you, I'm scoping out the scene. It's like, I'm going to tone it down because, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you're going to be offended or it's just going to be too much. Right. Um, because, yeah. So I, he was the first guy where it's like, I could be a hundred percent Jayla. And that's what really made me fall for him. Uh-huh. Like really fall for him. It's like, I am me. No pretension. Like this is me. What you see is what you get. He wasn't intimidated that I was taller than him. 
I mean, maybe at first he's like, dang, she's tall. Nah. But then after he got over that, um, yeah, it was, he didn't care if I wore heels. I remember I went, oh, three dates. That's right. I went on three dates with people because <laughs> I went on this vestibule date with this one guy and I showed up, I was wearing heels and he was just like, well, you got to wear heels. And after he said that, I was like, I'm never going on a date with him again because he's too insecure. Like, <laughs> like, cause yeah. I like this dress and the heels back off boy. But no. <laughs> and so like, he didn't, he never told me like, you're being too loud. You know, you need to back down. You're embarrassing me. It was just like, he just sat back and took it in stride and just accepted me, um, all of me. And I loved that. That was, that was really mm. cool because everyone just wants to be accepted, right? I knew I was accepted by God. I knew I was accepted by some really close handful of like Jadra and uh, some close friends of mine. But like, as far as like on a romantic, intimate level, um, like, yeah, he was the first one. I was just me. And it, it's awesome. So that's why I was really like, yeah, I want to date this guy because, the, yeah. So in, into you guys are dating, how long did it take for him to tell, like for you guys to have this conversation where um, you kind of put your cards on the table like, yo, I know you probably were, you know, yeah, so with your girlfriend. We didn't have, we weren't even dating. Um, I was just like, I straight up, I straight up was just like, I know that you've had sex with your ex-girlfriend. That's how it was. And he wasn't like thrown off and like, oh, no. Like, that's how direct and straightforward I was. And he just took it with stride. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, man, why you got to be so? And he's like, um, and he's like, yeah. Because um, what is he going to say? No. Yeah. <laughs> I went, no, and he was lying. So um, I was like, you need to know that if we date, um, that's off the table. That's not an option. Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna have sex. And he's like, okay. So, uh, still had not dated, uh, but we were talking and then I was just like, if you want to date me, like you need to ask my dad for permission and you need to call him. And he's like, okay. And then he tried to play the card. Like, yeah, well you need to meet my parents. Like, I don't think he was going to make me, but he was trying to be like, well, yeah. <laughs> so then this is January, New Year's. Because his parents lived in Atlanta at the time. So it was like a couple hours from Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So I drew out, drove out to Atlanta. I was so nervous to meet his family. So nervous to meet his sisters. Um, and just cultural differences. And sure. knowing who I am. Like, I'm not like <laughs> one of those passive lay down. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. So um, I was just nervous about the whole thing. But according to him. And according to them now, years later, they all like me. Um, and so after we got back from New Year's, then he asked me out. And that's when we officially, like January 3 or 4, I don't know. But sometime after, shortly after New Year's, uh, we officially became a couple. <laughs> and so, and then I let him kiss me. Like, uh, we, we made out and it was horrible. Because <laughs> I had never kissed him. I was like, oh, that's what all the hoopla is about? Nah, I'll pass. That was your, Eddie was your first kiss. Uh, yeah, he was my first kiss. So I want to get to this part. Um, so apparently you guys had broken up because when I heard in his podcast, he was saying that you guys um, had broken up because he kept trying to make moves on you. What was that? Was that hard? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I was just as into him as he was into me. And I had my urges just like him. <laughs> um, and when you're in the moment, it's hard. But 
I would always have to be the one that would like push him, push him away or push him off, uh, like move his hands or like, don't, don't move your hands. <laughs> like yeah, don't yeah, put yeah. your hands there. And yeah. I was just like, Eddie, if it wasn't for me, we would have already had sex. Hmm. Um, I was just like, you're saying that you want to wait, you, you know, um, secondary virginity, you want to wait to have sex until whether it's you get married to me or somebody else, like you're saying you want to wait. I was like, but then like, you're putting all the responsibility on me. I said, you're a grown man. I'm a grown woman. We thought we were grown. I was like, but, at the, <laughs> but you're still old enough to make your own decisions. Like, so that was one of the, that was the, one of the main reasons why we broke up. Another reason why we broke up was because he was my first boyfriend and mm. I had to decipher whether I liked being with him or I like the idea of him. Right, right, right. Right. Because like when you're dating someone, um, they're gonna do they're gonna send you the nice notes and they're gonna send you the flowers and they're gonna not forget your birthday or anniversary. <laughs> like they're gonna do all those things because they're they it, it's new, it's young, they're trying to impress you. And you know, you have someone that's lavishing all this attention on you and this kind of social standing that you now have, and it's just like, okay. Do I actually like being with Eddie and do I like the person of Eddie and do I actually see myself with this person or do I just like the idea that someone is saying nice things to me, constantly texting me, constantly saying I look beautiful, Mm -hmm. um, spending all this time with me? Like, what do I actually like in the relationship? Um, So those are the big things, the physical thing. And then also, like, why am I in this relationship? Because even though like he was a practice boyfriend in in a sense, I didn't go into dating him thinking I was going to marry him because I had changed. You know, I had ultra conservative culture and like the whole I can say goodbye. And, you know, I'm not going to I knew I would kiss before I got married, but, you know, I'm not going to have sex, anything like that. And I and, and like I told you before, like, oh, I definitely, you know, I won't date someone who who's not a virgin because if I save myself, then they can save themselves. And they're, they're Oh, you people. have that idea from yeah. before. Yeah. <clears throat> if there are people out there, if, if I can do it, there are, there are guys out there like that, that can do it. So, but that had really changed on God had worked on my heart because, you know, I was growing and I was realizing that people do make mistakes mm-hmm. and, you know, and everybody's story is different. And so just growing in compassion and mercy and not so like, this is black and white, you know, mm-hmm. this is how it is. And so that was even a huge step for me to uh, date someone who had been wasn't sexually virgin, active, yeah. who, yeah, who wasn't a virgin. Because before I would have been like, no, I'll never do that. Uh, they don't deserve, you know, I don't deserve used goods, basically. I mean, right? right, 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 right. It sounds so bad mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's not how God treats us or how he talks to us. But like, that's how we want to look down on other people. <laughs> so did this breakup, did it, did it hurt you? Could you tell that? Oh. Uh, yeah, I was, it didn't hurt me. Oh, that's not true. I wouldn't say I was, yeah, okay. It was, I was sad, but it was just a lot of, it was like a retreat for my mind. Mm-hmm. Where it was, I was like putting the emotions aside and it was like, I, yeah, it's like, I, I want to be with him, but like, let's put all that aside and let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty of this. Hmm. Like, because I knew that he liked me. I knew that I say the word, he's, he, he'll be back together with me. Like, I knew that he was just like. He was, he was crazy. He was, about he was crazy about me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't want to play with his emotions. Um, and so I was just really like, it was a, it was a time of wrestling for me. 
mm-hmm. I guess if, if you could, yeah, that's how I would describe it. A time of wrestling for me because it's like I did really like him, but it was also like okay, let's 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 uh, let's figure this out. And um, I had a good friend. Uh, I worked in campus ministries with her at the time, and uh, her name was Kessia Rain. Shout out to Kessia, she's listening. Still is t- probably Kessia Rain, yeah. Shout out she to still Kessia is a good friend, <laughs> um, and I still seek wisdom and advice from her. But um, so she was just like. You know, when you're dating someone, and this was passed on to her from somebody else. I don't know who she got it from. But she's like, when you're dating someone, she's like, you want to write down the list of all the negative things about that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get, it's like having the, the blinds of the window open. Open the blinds really wide and see all the negative things you can about that person. But then once you get married, like dim the blinds. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck out in my mind. She says, because there are so many times people, and she was married, so it wasn't like she was just spitting stuff from her, (laughs) Uh, making stuff up. She was married at the time to Josh. Shout out to him. So so anyways, um, I was just like, yeah, because she says many times people get married and they think, oh, oh, this person's going to change or I can change this person or my love or he'll, you know, he'll see the light. And it's just like, honestly, like people don't experience true change unless something radical happens in their life. Hmm. Um, and so I, I don't want to say that like a blanket statement, right? I don't want to make absolutes, but I find in a lot of cases, like something radical has to happen to their life or in order for them to change, because why would they change? Yeah. Right. So, um, I was just like, yeah, I can't change him. So I remember in that time that we were separated, it was only a couple of months. It wasn't very long. Um, not even that, maybe like five, five, six weeks, a month and a half. But in that time, it was very intense for me. Um, I wrote down all the things that I didn't like about Eddie. Um, <laughs> and, and it was savage. I remember like at the top, it was like, he's lazy. <laughs> like he sleeps in that really bothered me that he would sleep in because, um, we had a lot of classes together. And like, if there was like an 8am class, he would, skip or, it not, he would skip it or he would show up like, really late and people would be like when we were dating it bothered me so much they'd be like are you gonna call eddie are you gonna text him i'm like i am not his mother he has a phone he has an alarm he can set his own alarm i'm not gonna wake him up like that would just annoy me that people even had that mindset like i was listening to savannah's podcast the other day and how you were saying richard how sometimes people they want to prove like yeah we're not married but we're gonna do all the things so i'm like do your laundry like that was so like eye roll like i didn't do his laundry when we were dating I didn't like go clean his house. I would cook, but I did that. I cook food for him, but I did that for everyone. He didn't get any special treatments. Like, and so like people would be like, aren't you going to wake him up? Or I'm like, nah, he's a grown man. He'd wake himself up. So just things like that bothered me. I hear you. That's hilarious. <laughs> so it was like, he's lazy. He sleeps in. Um, and there was just, there was just some other, you know, things at the, at the list. But then I went down that list and I asked myself, can I live with these negative qualities that he has? And I'm no Ray, like I'm not perfect either, but we're talking about him right now. And it's like, <laughs> can I live with these negative qualities for the rest of my life? And to my surprise, I liked him enough and I felt, um, and I felt, I just had, I had, I had peace about it. I was just like, yes, I can. So we started, so I asked him out. Mm-hmm. And we started dating 
And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm choosing to accept because when I asked him out a second time, I knew it would be to get married. I wasn't playing around. Yeah, it was like, it's like, I'm not going to just date him again. And we're going to flip flop back and forth, break up, get together. Not that stupid. I'm not yeah. doing that. That's what he yeah. did with his ex for like four years. And so I knew it was to get married, but I still was just like, I'm choosing to accept these qualities about him. Oh, at the top of the list. That's what it was. Sorry. I'm bouncing back. I knew that he was not the spiritual leader. Like I knew that he loved God, but it's Mm -hmm. like, if we get married, I'm going to be the priest of the home. Mm -hmm. And that always bothered me because I was taught like the guy has to be the priest of the home, like this patriarch, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. society that we're, that we're in. And so it's just like, but I was like, so I would have to be the spiritual leader of the home. And I was just like, okay, like all these things, like, that this list that it doesn't it doesn't make sense but it feels like and i'm not like a i'm not a huge feelings person like we all have feelings but i don't live through my feelings like some people do (laughs) so which is fine you know we're created differently but um but i just had like i prayed about it and i was just like okay i have peace like i feel like i'm supposed to like this is the guy i'm supposed to marry Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I ask him out and say, will you be my boyfriend again? Whatever. And he's like, yeah. So I have peace about it. I have this list that I wrote down and then my dad's coming to visit us. And, um, he had never met Eddie. And like I said, my dad and I, we've always been tight. We're, at that time I talked to him like pretty much every other day on the phone. We were so close. And I always thought to myself, like, nobody is good enough for his baby girl. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, this will be, this will be the, this will be the, um, the measure or the way to determine, like, if I'm making this up in my head, like if I'm really supposed to be with Eddie mm-hmm. or if it's like, if my dad approves. And so, <clears throat> and I hadn't talked to my dad about any of this, as far as like, he knew that we had broken up, but I didn't really tell him why I was just like, I just got to figure some things out. and. Um, and he didn't know the battle I was going through and he didn't know like, yeah, like that I was thinking about marrying Eddie, even though it hadn't been talked about, but Mm -hmm. I knew that's what it was going to lead to. So, um, so my dad comes and visits us and, um, he had only been hanging out with us for like 15, 20 minutes. Eddie goes off to the bathroom and my dad looks me straight in the eye and he's like, you're going to marry that guy. Hmm. And when he said that, that was such confirmation because this was the first time in my life that hmm. I had ever experienced like the raging hormones mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and all the feels. And once again, being in a relationship and I was just like, is this like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to make the wrong choice. It's so mm-hmm. huge. Like it wasn't like dating and marriage was a, a huge thing for me. Like, you know, I'm 20, three, 24, how I think it was 23. And that's the first guy like I've dated the first guy I've ever kissed. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and when my dad said that, that was like confirmation. And I'm like, what? How can you know that? I was just like, nah, nah. I was like denying it. But inside I was just like, I was super happy. But I was like, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Be quiet. He's like, nah, nah. He's like, he's like, that guy's perfect for you. Hmm. And I was just like blown away in a matter of 15 minutes that he just like, he just knew he picked up on it. 
And so that was really cool. So that is, after he said that, there was just so much peace about moving forward, even knowing these things about Eddie. We get questions all the time. And so we've compiled uh, many of our frequently asked questions and answers into an interactive study that you can find at youarefreefromsin.com. The interactive study, we have the questions and we break down the answers. So if you're hearing these theological concepts through these stories in this this podcast and you want to know more, hit up youarefreefromsin.com to get some clarity. I hope you check it out. So you and Eddie get married. What year was this when you get married? 2009? Uh, 2009. 2009. Yeah, we got what, married. Eight, what, what, when's your wedding anniversary? August 9. August 9, 2009. Let's, let's go. So when um, you didn't know anything about his porn addiction or anything like this. No. Even until after you were <clears throat> married, right? I had asked when we were dating, but I was naive. <laughs> I was like, do you, have you ever looked at porn? It wasn't even like, do you look at porn? I was already positioning him as if it was something that he did in the past. Yeah. And um, so just naive. And he was just like, well, yeah, when I was younger, you know, I looked at, I saw, I talked to my dad and, and I got some help and he's like, so yeah, it's fine. It's nothing that, you know, I don't struggle with it now, but yeah, I, there was a time in my life when I did. I'm like, oh, okay. Sounds like a good story. So I bought it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. what is he going to say? Like, oh, yeah, I'm totally addicted. And I look at it all the time. No, I can't do that. <laughs> no. Bye, fam. Peace out. <laughs> so your your first couple years of, of marriage, like this whole thing where Eddie uh, does not graduate, because maybe it was this Greek class that you were in, one of his language classes where he doesn't pass it. And um, he's not getting a call. Could you see that wrecking his identity? Could you see that? messing with his pride and and how did you handle that when these expectations that he had and the pride was hitting him like oh i'm not going to be able to do this thing i couldn't see it then no it wasn't till years later when we got to the seminary that i could see it when that that pattern uh, mm-hmm. resurfaced uh he played it really well um but i already knew his situation that he had been in school for a while and that he was struggling with some of his upper classes. So it was just kind of like, well, but I knew he would find a job because he was very talented. So I was not worried about um, him finding a job. And he did have uh, the uh, campus ministries uh, assistant chaplain or, you know, so I thought, well, maybe we'll take that and then something will open up. And like, yeah, I wasn't like, I was discouraged about what kind of job he was going to have or where we would move. Or I just knew God was going to work it out because like God has always worked everything out for me in my life. So it's like, yeah, he'll, he'll continue to do that. We're married. He's going to open doors. So I wasn't worried. I couldn't see like that. It was affecting his identity at all. Did you think, how deep did you think about his pastoral skills? Like if he could preach or if he could visit people or if he was like, it had good compassion. Did you think about that stuff? Um, I didn't think he could preach because we took a preaching class. I'm like, nah, he can't do it. <laughs> like, that's not for him. That was okay. I was, I was just like, I mean, whatever. But <laughs> I was, it was okay. I didn't, you know, like, I guess you think of some of those like really like dynamic, charismatic speakers, but 
So as far as preaching, but I knew that being a pastor, it wasn't just about preaching. Right. I thought, well, I can help him preach because I can preach. Or I was stupid. I thought I could preach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but as far as like pastoral care, I had no doubt that he could do that because um, he is just a very like sincere person, mm-hmm. like extremely sincere. And it's like, and he might like if you listen to his podcast, you might think like he was just like the biggest jerk and not sincere. But that's not. And you could say that, you know, maybe he was just doing it because it made him feel better. Um, And yes, that would have been the motive behind him doing those things, like because it made him feel better, look a certain way. But like just his makeup is like he just really he's an emotional person who really cares like me. um, Like I care, but I, I demonstrate it in a different way. Like right. how I care is like, I'm gonna beat you up. <laughs> and he, like, like how I used to mess around with my younger brother. Cause there's a 12 years different. I, you know, I'd like joke around with him and be like, come over here, little punk. But I love him so much. Yeah, like yeah, obsessed yeah. with him where Eddie's like type of care is just like, let me sit down. You can cry on my shoulder. Let me hold your hand. And it's like, ugh, okay, whatever. So like, it's, it's truly sincere. Yeah. And so I was like, Pastor O'Care, he'll be great with that. Like, he's very, he has lots of empathy where I had to grow so much in my empathy. I was not a very empathetic person once again, because to me, things were just black and white. And it's just like, why are you acting a fool? Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, yeah, I knew that he would be able to just be a good shepherd to the people. But as far as like leading them up front um, as from a sermon, no. And musically talented. Yeah, that was, so I, I felt like, he had all the character traits as a pastor, except for being preaching sermons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm like, if we go to a, if he's an associate pastor or assistant pastor, then that won't matter, which is what ended up happening. He ended up getting a job and where he only preached like four times a year. So in your first couple years of marriage and, and you guys are doing the pastoral thing, um, were, what were you doing? Were, were you on staff or were... He got. He I was honorary. You know how they bring the spouses, and I was honorary staff member. Um, right. But yeah, no, I was helping out. I pretty much took over the youth, the young adult, youth and young adult uh, Sabbath school. Like, so I led that out, and then um, he didn't lead out that, but he started like a youth and young adult like a praise and worship band, and that was really good. So we had a good time. We were at a really good church. Amazing families. Amazing. Uh, pastoral team to work with. It was, um, it was a really good, uh, service for us. We're glad we didn't stay at Southern because it's kind of like spreading your wings and flying, breaking away, you know, first year being married. But what I did see is, um, the, the patterns of laziness in our first couple of years, because we had never lived together. Right. Um, cause you know, there are some people that they live together for a couple of years before they get married and they're able to see how that person is. I never saw Eddie behind closed doors. If we were mm-hmm. behind clo- closed doors, it's because we were making out, right? <laughs> it wasn't because we, were, was, we weren't living together doing it's we, Yeah. So, and so I knew that he was, you know, um, not, he was not disciplined with his time. He was disciplined with things that were important to him. But in a, in a, as a general, he was not he was not a disciplined person, and so I would I was seeing more of that our first couple of years, and that was so annoying to me. Him sleeping in until like ten o'clock, and then spending like an hour in the bathroom, and then like resurrecting, um, emerging from the bathroom at eleven o'clock, and so it's just like I was just like 
who's this, this guy like wasting his morning? Uh-huh. <laughs> so things like that. But I was just like, well, that's on me because I knew he was that way. So that really helped not make me go insane or like snap at him. I would still say things like, okay, you've been in the bathroom too long, get out. Or you need to get out of the bed. But instead of like beating him over the head with it, it was just like, no, I knew he was this way. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to marry him. And this is on me. So mm. even though it wasn't like, I did not excuse his actions and it was annoying to me. Uh, at the same time, it was just like, I made my bed, now I have to lay in it. Yeah. So when does this, uh, you were there at this church for a while and then you're- A couple of years, to, yeah. Then you're going to the seminary. Mm-hmm. Did you know about his- uh, his grade point average and all that stuff before. Yeah, I knew it was. I knew it was bad. And like his, I had a better grade point average than he did. Because once again, my my papers that I turned in, my assignments, you know, I would get A's and B's. It was just the mm-hmm. test that would bring me down. Mm-hmm. So where I looked at his GPA, it was horrible. And I'm like, this guy is like <laughs> legitimately like intelligent. Like Eddie's a very intelligent individual. He's smart. Mm-hmm. He's quick. And so that just really irritated me because I'm like. Here he is just squandering this opportunity that he has uh-huh. just because he's lazy. Hmm. Um, so that was like, I was just so disappointed in him. Our year three of being married. Like I loved him, but my thought of him was just like, he's just, he's a disappointment. That's what I thought about my husband. Like Dang. he's a disappointment. Yeah. So when you get that letter that the seminary is not going to take him, like, because of his previous GPA, yeah. Yeah. Like, did you come up with the, like, we're going anyway? Yeah. So um, so what had happened was Eddie was a local church hire. And um, after working there for a couple of years, the conference saw him. And, you know, he did a great job at the church and his potential. And so they're like, we want to pick you up. Um, but we don't have a place for you right now. So we're going to sponsor you and you're going to go to the seminary. So they just told him, not knowing like his GPA, his grade average. So they just said, we're going to send you to the seminary. Mm-hmm. So that's when he applied. And, and they had already told like the church people, like we're going to pick up Eddie, we're going to send him. So everyone at the church is thinking we're going to the seminary. Like, oh, we're going to miss you. We're making preparations. And they're like throwing us going away parties. And then we get this letter saying he has not been accepted. And Eddie's just kind of like, well, I guess I'll just find some like blue collar or go work at McDonald's or find some job and we'll just stay here. And I was like, no, no, we already told everyone we're leaving and we already packed up and we have a place to live. So let's just go. We're going. And if they don't accept us, then we'll live in Michigan, but we're not going to live here. (laughs) So I was like, you can find a job in Michigan. Because everything's ready to go. There's no point for us to stay here. What are we going to say? Like, you're not working here at the church, but we go there as church members. And like, that's just. It was just Micah made... alive then? Was Micah no, alive? Micah wasn't born because this is he wasn't born until a couple of years later after um, when we were leaving the seminary. So you guys just you two get in a car and drive to U-Haul. Michigan. Yeah, that's all paid by for the conference. <laughs> the move is paid for. I'm like, they're paying for this move. Everything like. I even put a down payment on this house that we're renting a deposit and like, we're going, so you can find a job in Michigan, but we're going. So <laughs> how was that car ride? Was that like, really? Cause you don't Once know what's going to happen. Like he's just like sweating it and worried. And I'm just like, so disgusted with him as a person. Dang. I, 
you know, like, like you can be so in love with someone and, you know, just like not disgusted. I mean, just so disappointed. I'll go back to the word disappointed because I wasn't disgusted to like, ew, get off me. Like I still wanted to like be with him and uh-huh. hold his hand. So I wasn't disgusted, but it was disgusting how he was living his life. So I wasn't disgusted with him as a person, but disgusted like how he, like with the decisions that he chose to make. Sure. So um, when you get to the seminary and like, were you expecting for him to fight for himself when you get to this meeting with the academic dean, or were you just like, I'm gonna? He didn't I even have. He didn't. He didn't even do anything. He like just gave up. He was so. I was so disappointed, but I also saw a man that was defeated and shattered. Uh-huh. Like he was just at his low. He was a really low, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to help him out. So I scheduled a meeting with the dean. I'm like, hey, can you see us? He's like, okay, and so. We go into his office. I'm like, I know that we have been denied based on this and that. Um, <clears throat> but we're asking, you know, if you will give it, you know, if you will give us a chance and let us get in and he can do academic probation, this or that, or let him try the first semester. And he just looks at us. He's like, okay. He's like, so you moved here. You drove all the way from the Carolinas. You drove up to Michigan, not knowing that you would be accepted. I'm like, yeah. So I'm, I'm asking you, like, I was so nice about it. It was so sweet. I was, I was like, I'm begging you, like, give us a chance. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, I'll give you a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was incredible because he was sponsored and he was sponsored by a conference. He yeah. just needed the green light to say, okay, you've been accepted into the program. And that also, because, and that way we could have a stipend. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, my whole life has been a life of faith. Um, and that is just because I know that God, and once again, like how I have never, there's never been a time in my, in my life where I thought, oh, God's not good. Right. Oh, God's not going to work it out. Oh, God's not going to come through for me. Like, even if he didn't get accepted into the seminary, I would not have been like, oh God, how could you just let us down? You're not good. I just would have been like, okay, God, you have something else better Hmm. or you have something else in mind. So it was, it was a risk. I, it's not a risk. It was a step of faith. Like I just knew like the Holy Spirit was telling me to go. I didn't know mm. that we would be accepted, but it was just like, we've got to go. Mm. And I was just hoping in my heart, heart of hearts that he would be accepted. And he was, but if he wasn't like, I knew God would work something else out because once again, like it's not even a part of who I am, my makeup. I cannot ever fathom a time in my life where God has disappointed me and he's not been Hmm. good to me. So it's it's awesome. So so the years in the seminary. So yeah. Talk about that. They're pretty good years from. from Yeah. It was cool hanging out with people that were pursuing ministry and other spouses. It was a good time to just connect and make friends. But what had happened in our marriage. So it starts rocky in the sense of like he's just given up and he's not trying and so just that yeah this perception that i have had of him is just just being lazy and not caring but Hmm. then in the seminary like you know the first semester i could see that he was trying and he was but then he got distracted of course with just the potential to be somebody who he wasn't. Hmm. And 
um, hanging out with his buddies and and being up front on Sabbath and leading out with the young adults and all really good things. But once again, the motive the motive behind that was how's it going to make him feel? Because he already felt so bad mm-hmm. about these other areas of his life. So let's pour into the areas of the life into my life that's going to validate me and make me feel good. So, um, and we were just bickering a lot more and I hated that. And he would say things like just humiliate me in public. And when we would get in the, in the ride home, the car ride home, I'd be like, when you said that, that really embarrassed me. And he'd be mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Like, just totally blow it off or make it seem like it was me. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. But just know that I didn't like that. And that made me feel embarrassed. So please don't do it again. But he, you know, he wouldn't take responsibility or he'd be like, well, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, or you're just, you know, I'm I didn't sorry that, that you felt that way. That's the, yeah. the apology that, that doesn't. But you know, apology. I didn't mean it that way. Okay. But I'm telling you, like, you made me feel this way. It wasn't cool. So that type of back and forth mm-hmm. that was happening. Um, so we get done with the seminary and he goes, the conference has a new position for him, um, at this church. So we go there and it's pretty much like, it's pretty much a dead church. Hmm. And like, um, that's really discouraging to Eddie because he, in his mind, he thinks that he's the cream of the crop. Like, I know that he's talented, but he's, I, I'm not in denial about his abilities. I'm like, you're not the cream of the crop. Now he thinks he is. And so I'm like, this church is just fine for you. (laughs) Savage. That's better. Thanks. And so, but he doesn't feel that way. So, um, it's, we're there for about a year and a half. And, um, that year, like I said, we were bickering and fighting a lot in the seminary and I hated, I hated at that time we had Micah, he was born. Mm -hmm. And I hated that we bickered so much. It was just like, ugh, it made me cringe yeah. about stupid stuff. It's like, why didn't we just have to bicker? And we yeah. throw it out. We would sometimes be like, oh, that's just how we are. We kind of like jab at each other. We're just like a sarcastic, funny couple. But it wasn't funny. It was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not funny, dog. Yeah. Like, we're we not convince having a ourselves. Good time. No, we're not, we're not having a good time. Like, we're miserable. And so <laughs> um, things are... I can just tell that he is not like for to whatever he presents up front or with his colleagues or the young adults at that church, like behind closed doors. It's like, I just know that he is not like, there there was a shift that happened, Hmm. like a darkness. Whereas before it was like, he was, um, like he had all these things, um, but there there wasn't a darkness. Hmm. It was just like sadness. Yeah. <laughs> but this was different. It was a shift. And I'm just like, man. And at my at the time, I couldn't pinpoint it because I had never been depressed in my life. And I had never been around or I have probably been around plenty of depressed people, but they didn't admit it. Like people that mm-hmm. were close. But like doing life with someone like I couldn't I didn't because depression presents itself in different forms and I just didn't, and he is a happy, positive guy. And so I was just like, I didn't know that it was depression, but then also like a huge identity crisis. Um, All I know is that I was engulfing myself in books 
and focus on the family podcast. I had downloaded that every single day. They'd have a podcast. I listened to that religiously. I would wake up in the morning. I'd have my quiet time, read my Bible. I would write in my journal for like half an hour. Mm -hmm. That was, um, that really saved me, my sanity, just writing my journal. And I remember writing in my journal, I would talk about all the good things that God had done in my life, all the ways mm-hmm. that he had blessed me. It was just such a mind shift. It really helped me to stay positive. Um, and then even the positive things I liked about Eddie, because even though we were bickering a lot, I still loved him so much. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good things I liked about him. And he was just a great father, too. So I would write the things I appreciated about him or the things that he did that, that day or that week um, <clears throat> that, that were nice. Just to kind of like keep my mind from going to the negative, because what happened was there was just like I constantly had negative thoughts towards him. Mm-hmm. It's not like I would always display them. Sometimes they would. I'd just be like so disgusted with him. But usually it was just like in my mind, these constantly negative thoughts like he's such a bum. Mm. Um, he's wasting his life away. He's lazy. He doesn't do anything like those are the thoughts that were constantly running through my head instead of like, he's just amazing. I love him. He's a good father. I would have those thoughts, but those are thoughts that were, um, that I had to force myself or remind myself, but these negative thoughts, they were constantly there. So this moment where he finds you, like he hears you crying. Cause like, yeah. The- so this is the thing, Richard. Um, I didn't know how miserable I was in my marriage. Hmm. I knew it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. I knew that, but I didn't know how miserable I was because, and I think this is very important because some people, they get married thinking this person's going to complete me. This Mm -hmm. person's going to make me happy. And obviously that's a lie and that's not true. I never married Eddie thinking like, oh, he's going to make me happy. He's going to complete me. Like I was already a complete person. Mm -hmm. I was already a happy person because that came from my identity came from knowing that I'm a child of God. So I married Eddie because um, I had peace about it, because I loved him, because I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. I knew that you know, God could do something. We could do ministry together. We could be effective ministry team. <clears throat> so I married him for those reasons because I, I was attracted to him, you know, but it wasn't because like, oh, if I marry him, like he's going to make me happy. No, I was happy already. I was mm-hmm. content already. Mm-hmm. And so going into the marriage when like he's in a bad mood or he's not treating me the way that he should have treated me, although I didn't like that, I was just like, well, you're choosing to be this way, but I'm still going to have a good day. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get irritated. They get under my skin, but then I just like push it off or be like, okay, that's his problem and just move on with my life. I'm genuinely like, I love life everywhere I've gone. I've made deep, intimate friendships, have awesome experiences, something that Eddie and I have always had in common, traveling a lot. And so like, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm sorry you're choosing to act this way or be this way or mope around or treat me this way, but I'm still gonna have a good day. So I can understand, I can see that I actually was not happy in my marriage. Because I was already just like filled with joy every single morning when I woke up and started my day off Mm. with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then I was um, about seven months pregnant with our second son, Luca. I was Mm -hmm. in the shower and this wave of emotion just hit me. 
And I just like start bawling and crying, which is totally unusual for me. Mm-hmm. And then he's like freaking out thinking like maybe I slipped or like miscarried the baby in the shower. Who knows? Like he's just like, mm-hmm. it's so like out of the norm. And when I'm in there showering, I'm thinking about, you know, how Eddie is and how our marriage is and how we're bickering and how my marriage is not how, how I imagined it to be. I just get struck with so much grief and it finally hits me for the first time, Mm. like how bad our marriage was because I wasn't in denial. I was in denial about some things, but I really was like, if I look back, if, if I would, if you would ask me then, like, are you and Eddie happy? I'd be like, yeah, we're happy. Like we have our moments, we bicker, but like we've been married seven years. It's a seven year itch. Like I would have like chalked it away because we did have happy moments. So in the shower, it was the first time I realized, oh, okay, it's really bad. And I was just sobbing. And so Eddie runs and he's like, what, what? Like opens the shower curtain. What's wrong? Like, you know, thinking like, got to call 911 or something. What's wrong? And I look him dead in the eye and I say, you're what's wrong. Hmm. You. And he just tilts his head. Walks out and shuts the door. And that was, that was one of the darkest moments. Hmm. Because he couldn't argue. He knew it was true. And not only bickering, but he was just another, because this is going to lead up to something else. The question like, well, did you know? Mm-hmm. Or did you expect it? Because we're getting to that point in the story. Um, he was just becoming more distant. He was turning, shutting himself off from me, like wasn't being as affectionate. And also I got the sense that he loved me because he, because I'm his wife and we have this beautiful child together and one on the way we have seven years of, well, I guess really nine, nine years of you count dating. Um, and we have this, uh, we've, we have all this history. Like he loves me for the life I've created, but he doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. And that's what really made me sad. Where I was just like, oh, okay, my husband loves me, but he doesn't like me. I was like, he would rather be with his friends. He would rather be hanging out with other people, random people, than just like spend a day with me or go on a hike or go on a bike ride. So, when he is uh like when you're seeing these interactions with this other person and you're just like nah bro like that's too much that's too casual that's too frequent um you know the worst thing that could happen is x what were you thinking that was was happening were you just like oh this dude he just needs to chill yeah so um I saw that he was texting this, um, this, uh, woman and I saw that it was frequent because like I had access to his computer. Not that I was like snooping around, but if I wanted to, I could, um, his phone, he would, you know, leave his phone lying around. Um, but I noticed that he was being more possessive with his phone. And like he had changed like his lock screensaver, like it used to be like one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just the screensaver on his computer because I would sometimes go in the office and use his computer. And I noticed that he had changed that. So I thought that was kind of odd, but still kind of in denial. And then um, I was just like, hey, I've noticed that you've been texting this, this woman too much. And also sometimes they would like ride together in a vehicle. Uh-huh. Like she would pick him up um, or he would pick her up. And I was just like, I don't think that you should be riding um, because what? We had one car at the time. Yeah, we have one car. He's like, it's okay. So-and-so can pick me up. So she would pick him up. And um, I was just like, I didn't like that. So I told him, I'm like, no, you can use the vehicle or we'll work it out or I'll drop you off or I don't need it. Um, I don't think it should just be the two of you because this it needs to, you know, you need a professional. It's a bad look. He's like, okay, so that stopped. Um, and then the whole texting, it was the same thing. Like, you don't, you know, you don't need to be doing that. And he's like, okay, so it had stopped, air quotes, uh-huh. <laughs> but it had just gone to a different forum, like mm-hmm. Snapchat or IG. Well, now you didn't know about it. Yeah, so it had like the the texting on the phone had stopped. But the actual them communicating had not stopped. That was that was taking place behind my back. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so um, so there were definitely some red flags. But it was also like, well, once again, I was in denial. I was just like, Eddie would never. I mean, like he could, yeah. but why would he? Like, even though we were bickering, like I, I I'm a good wife. <laughs> like yeah. I love him. And, um, I try to be respectful and, you know, it's not like all the, all the things that they tell you, like how you should be a good spouse. It's all garbage now, right? Now that I know in freedom, like I don't need to be doing these things in order for him to love me. He should just love me because he has the mind of Christ, but like outside of freedom, it's like, I was doing the things that needed to be done. Yeah. So when I was withholding myself from him sexually or whatever, right, right, right. you know, he had access to all that. So when he would preach a sermon that like was totally not his and he would do all of this stuff, like you just had a feeling like there was just this darkness there and you're praying for him while you're journaling over this period of time. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, thanks for, I forgot. Thanks for reminding me. So I was reading books, listening to vocals on the family journaling because it was just, because it was, it was bad. So once again, I knew it was bad. I just didn't know it was that bad until the day in the shower. But I was just like praying. I said, God, I cannot change him. And I never went into this marriage thinking that I could change him. And I don't want that responsibility. So I was just like, Lord, change him. Do whatever it takes. Like, because I know that he loves you, um, but he doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. And I just, I just pray. I just beg that he will know you like I know you. Hmm. And and I was just like, and I was constantly writing that every single day, like, okay, God, like, I'm not going to micromanage him. I'm not going to control the situation. Like, it's, I'm just going to be his wife. I didn't sign up to be his mom. I didn't sign up to be a savior. So help me. Like, I cannot change him. So change me. So I started praying, change my husband and change my heart towards him. So, so that's what God did. Like, and that's how he was changing my heart, writing in my journal and where I was and I have like this, like this daily thing where you could, this woman, like it asks a specific question about your husband and you would write it down. And so I was doing all the things, um, so that I would just have positive thoughts about him. 
Mm. So it wouldn't go to the negative. So I wouldn't be disappointed or think that he was a lazy bum. <laughs> I did everything that was in my power so that I could just be sane and not lash out at him. So on the date, I think it's August 8th. August 8th, my boy. <laughs> so August 8th, uh, you don't see any of this coming. You're lying in bed. No, I don't see and, it. And he just comes in. Tell me, walk, walk me through that. Oh, my goodness. Um, he looked like a ghost. Like a pale, pasty ghost. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> and like this, his countenance was just... It was off, right? Mm-hmm. So he brings the chair in, kitchen chair in, sits by the bed, and it just gets like real serious. Like the atmosphere, like you can just taste it's stale. Mm-hmm. And I get real serious, and I'm just like, what is it? Like I know it's something bad. And what were you thinking? Were you thinking he got fired? Were yeah, I was thinking he got fired or. Yeah, I was thinking he got fired. And I was like, babe, whatever it is, we can get through this. And he's just like looking at me like, um, like defeated. And so serious. And he starts to open his mouth to talk and his voice is quivering, kind of like he has a lump in his throat. And um, he finally spits it out. Like, he can't even say the words. It's too hard for him. He says, I'm about to tell you something that's going to break your heart. And when he says that, I already know what it is. Because it's like, what's the one thing that could break my heart? (laughs) So I'm the one that says, you cheated on me. He's like, yeah. So with who? You know who? And I knew who it was, right? And um, I remember just letting out this wail, like how it was in the shower. That happened like a week before. Um, just bawling, just crying. And uh, Micah comes in and he's, he's not, he hasn't seen me like this. And Eddie like scoops him up and takes him out of the room so he doesn't have to see me. And, you know, he doesn't want our son to worry. And takes him outside for a little walk. So I'm just in the room by myself, crying and processing, processing it all. Because they say like when, when adultery or divorce or something that is so traumatic to the marriage happens, it's like a death. So I am going through all the stages of grieving in like a matter of seconds um, where I'm just like, yeah, I'm just shock, denial, anger, acceptance. It was so fast. Like all these things are just racing through my mind. And then this is the most, if you're still listening at this point, this is the most one of the most beautiful things that has ever happened to me in my life. So beautiful. So in my grief, in my darkest hour, I hear a voice, the Holy Spirit, as clear as day, 
He says to me, don't take this personal. And he just keeps repeating it. Don't take this personal. And that was the best thing he could have ever said to me. Mm. Like, I can't find another phrase that the Holy Spirit could have spoken to me that would have shaken me back to reality. Like, I don't want to put him in the box. Like, anything he, he others is amazing, but it was so beautiful what he said. Hmm. It was what I needed to think with a clear head. Hmm. To get the eyes off of me and to get my eyes fixed on the bigger purpose, Hmm. which is love, right? Hmm. And so I'm in my sorrow and my grief. And the Holy Spirit says, don't take this personal. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how many times he says it. It's at least three or four times. After him saying a couple of times, I'm like, yeah. It was just so logical. It made so much sense. And it wasn't even a way to cope. Like, because sometimes when we go through traumatic experiences, we find whatever it's going to take to help us cope. Mm -hmm. This was not coping. This is a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. who shook me back into into the truth of the situation. And I was like, huh, it's not personal. Were you, when, when he says don't take it personal, are you like, what are you talking about? Like my husband. No, I knew exactly what, what he was talking about. Like the whole thing, like him cheating on me with another woman, him having an affair. Don't take it personal. That's exactly what he was talking about. And it was in that moment. Okay. Yeah. So I accepted it. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm not going to take this personal. And once I accepted that revelation, then he proceeded to speak other truths over my life. So then the next thing he said, after the Holy Spirit says, don't take this personal. He says, this is about a man that doesn't know me. Mm. And I said, huh? Yeah, also correct. Then he continued. If he knew me, this never would have happened. Mm. And then I just forgave him. It was supernatural. I was so touched by the hand of God. Like, it's, I had always said to Eddie, if you cheat on me, I will leave you. Mm -hmm. I, I just was never going to put up with that. I thought it's like the sin of sins in the marriage. I guess it is, right? So, and it's just like, no, you don't do that. And I, sometimes I think about like the miracle that happened in Eddie's life 
or the miracle of a restored marriage, mm-hmm. of how the Holy Spirit restored our marriage. Not restored, transformed. Mm-hmm. He transformed our marriage. And that's such a big miracle. But the biggest miracle I've experienced, I've experienced so many miracles, but the biggest miracle I ex- experienced was on August 8th. Who knows what time of day it was? <laughs> Middle of the day. It was when I forgave him. Mm. Like it's so supernatural. Because. Like when when you find out that your spouse does that and you forgive them, the only way that is explained is that if it's a if it's supernatural. Mm. Now, sometimes people can hear this and be like, oh, so you forgave him, but you weren't hurt. No, I was hurt. Mm. I was devastated. I was shocked. <laughs> right. All the stages of grieving. It was the worst day of my life. And some pretty awful things happened afterwards, too. Um, but, I mean, I just, I just instantly forgave him. And I didn't know that this whole time I had been praying, like, God, you know, do whatever it takes to change my husband. You know, I can't change him. Change me. I didn't know that the Holy Spirit was really working on my heart so that when the rubber meets the road, that when it really, when game time, when it came mm-hmm. ready, mm-hmm. that through the ha- power of the Holy Spirit, that Jayla Cornejo would step up to the plate and say, yeah, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I could even fathom. In my mind, my narrative, the story went, your husband comes home. He tells you that you cheated. You're like, blankety, blank, blank, blank. Get out of my house. I'm going to key your car. I'm going to throw your clothes out the window. I'm going to tell all my girlfriends. I'm going to have listen to all these sad songs. The end get a divorce. I'll never talk to you again. That's how the narrative of my story in my head went. But the narrative mm-hmm. didn't go that way at all. Mm-hmm. It was, it's not personal. This is about a man that doesn't know me. If he knew me, he would have never done this. And I was so convicted by that revelation. Mm. I just forgave him. I was like, yeah, I forgave him. What did you do next? So this is the thing. I forgave him, but I was like, yeah, I'll forgive you. But it doesn't mean like I have to stay married to you. Um, so I called his parents. I told him this is what happened. How did that go? Uh, um, <laughs> you might have to ask them. <laughs> so obviously that, they don't. That must have been the worst. It's a short conversation. That was just short. I went right to the point. I'm like, you know, his parents, his mom answered the phone. And I'm just like. Right to the chase, not how are you doing? I was just like, Eddie cheated on me and I need to come to your house so that you can watch Micah. I'm leaving today. She's like, okay, yeah, I understand. And that was it. It was short. I mean, how else is it supposed to go? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not like I was prepared in my mind for this conversation. I didn't have right. time to, I just called him like, this is what's happening. Right. Because I needed someone who could, I didn't want to be with Eddie and I needed someone that I trusted who was responsible. That could take care of my son the best way possible. And that was Mm -hmm. my Mm mother-in-law. Because my parents, my dad was in California. Mm -hmm. And my mom was in uh, Nebraska. And so they were the closest ones. And I didn't know how long I would be. I I didn't know the next day, the next hour. I just knew that I needed to think about Micah first. And I did not want Micah to see his mother 
um, trying to process this, this grief. So yeah, I packed up a suitcase really quick, packed up Micah's stuff. Eddie came back and I said, um, called your parents. They're going to watch Micah. I'm going to their house. Your food is in the microwave. <laughs> had you made him food before when you were lying down or you'd made it? Yeah. Afterwards? Well, I had made like when I was making, I had made lunch before and it was just ready uh-huh. for him. And uh, instead of like taking his plate and throwing it down the garbage and be like, he can go fend for himself. <laughs> I was just really struck with like at that point, even though I was angry and, and, uh, and upset when I had forgiven him in the room, um, I just had so much compassion. I actually felt sorry for him. I'm like, here's this grown man that's in his thirties that has had every opportunity that has amazing family. And like, he's just, he's just squandered it. I just felt so sad for him. I felt sorry for him. Hmm. Like this is the first time in my life where I had always, where I had felt sorry for him. I had never felt sorry for him before ever. Hmm. The first time in my life, I just felt sorry for him. I'm like, what has happened in his mind Hmm. that has brought him to the point so low where he thinks that he has to step outside the bounds of marriage. when he has a perfectly, it wasn't good, but it could have, it wasn't terrible. Right? Like he, he had a he, he he could have had a, per, a perfectly good good marriage, hmm. a, a, a perfectly good life. Yeah, like I was just like, I just felt bad for him because I'm like, man, I had compassion, and I'm just like, well, he's probably hungry. So before I left, I'm like, you're hungry, your food's in the microwave, and I walked out the door and I left. You know, when people, you know, we've I've been around you and you've told this story several times, mm-hmm. and People can hear this and they could get weird yes. because this is a crazy story. And just at this point where you're just like, I forgave him. Someone's listening to this and they're just like, I, I, I can't relate. You know, I can like, I would be so, I would burn their clothes or maybe they've had an experience where they have been cheated on mm-hmm. and, and their actions were not like that. This just goes to show that you have been listening to the Holy Spirit for your whole life. Like this wasn't, like you said, you were prepared. He had been fathering you and pruning you. And even in times where you might've made mistakes, like you are your father's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this isn't, this is a, an accumulation of, of walking with him. Right. Yeah. And, also, absolutely. and it's, and it's supernatural in that way as well. Um, so you head down to Atlanta, how long of a drive, like you're driving, what are you, yeah, like, and I'm so glad thinking? that you mentioned that Richard, like sometimes when people hear this portion of the story about how I forgave him, it is really hard for them to wrap their minds around it. Mm-hmm. But I want to encourage the listener that if they're having a hard time wrapping their minds around how I was able to forgive my spouse, um, I want to encourage the listener to not diminish the power of the Holy Spirit because of the things they have experienced. Hmm. 
And I have found that to be so true because people think, well, because I would not behave that way in this situation. There's no way she could have behaved that way. Or they can hear, oh, well, that's awesome. God, I want your, I want your spirit so that when bad things happen to me, I can know that you're good and you're faithful. Like, I hope that's when people hear this story, I hope that's what happens, the latter, that something stirs within their spirit and says, I don't have to act the way of the world. I don't have to act the way the, the breakup songs depict. Like I, he that lives within me is greater than he that lives in the world. So when things that the world come against me, when the world presses, I don't have to loathe and stay down. Like there's a better way. And like, I'm not going to be apologetic Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to back down from the miracle that happened. Like if people can't receive this, that's on them. Now, let, let me say this. You're, uh, you don't need to get self-respect. Like, if, when you think about this story, someone might say, Jayla needs to respect herself. And I've been walking with you for maybe coming up on, maybe it's a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not even two years. But it isn't about you not respecting yourself that you were able to do this. It's because you saw yourself for who you really were that you were able to do this. Yeah. There's not denial. Like you, as it, as the story goes on, you obviously ask, ask Eddie all about what happened. It's not like that you pushed all of this stuff aside and you're just like, oh, you know, you know, you know, Eddie did all that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's not like you're denying it. Or because you don't respect yourself, you're still here. You know who you are. Yep. And that's the game changer, right? That literally changes everything. Yeah. Like, that's what, when we talk about freedom, there's lots of things. But at the base of that, at the foundation of freedom, is knowing in your core, in your heart of hearts, who you are. Child of God. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> like even, you know, Morgan, when she, cause she's talked about this before, when she heard about how I forgave my husband, she was just like, oh, well, that just means cause Jayla didn't respect herself or she doesn't know her worth. And it's just like, yeah, that, that could have been a, a, a huge possibility had I not been full of the Holy Spirit. But because I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I do know, know my identity, it's like, Okay, well, I'm sorry you cheated on me, but that doesn't change who I am. That has nothing to do with me. I know who I am. (laughs) Yeah, that's a foreign thought to so many people. But that's how we don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. Because it's really... And... if, if And Savannah mentioned this in her podcast. I just loved her podcast. Like if, if we could just get to a point in our life where, and it's not, we get to it. Like if we receive the truth of we are, of who we are, if we believe it, then we don't have to live lives with a chip on our shoulder or not trusting people or, or boundaries or, um, 
not taking things personal because it's really not personal. Hmm. Like when people hurt you, it's not, it might seem like it's malicious, but at the core of that is just like, and I hate to use this because hurting people hurt people. It's so cliche and overused, but like at the root of that, it really is because they don't know how much they're loved. If they got a revelation of how much they are loved, they wouldn't act the way that they are. But they do. It still hurt, right? You're driving to oh, Atlanta and you're Atlanta, in some pain, I'm, right? I'm in some pain. Micah falls asleep on the way there. So I'm crying after I try not to cry, you know, when he's up. And uh, I'm just sobbing and crying. I go and I'm like, here's Micah. <laughs> And I only come out of the room to use the bathroom. I'm too sick to my stomach to eat, to like check up on Micah, to put him to bed, things like that. Um, but other than that, he's just having a good time with his grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. there. Um, and <clears throat> so that's August 9th. Mm-hmm. Um, and only like, what, 24 hours have passed? Yeah. Um, and once again, like I said, like there has never been a time in my life I haven't known I'm loved by God. And number two, there's never been a time in my life where I'm like, God's not good. So when I was, you know, trying to process this, I wasn't like, God, how could you do this? And why it's not fair. Like, you know, I was feeling sorry for myself, but I wasn't um, upset with God. I was like, this is not God's problem. This is not my God, uh, my problem. This is Eddie and that woman's problem. That's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I was just like, but there was like, I was like, how could Eddie do this? I've been an amazing wife. Like I saved myself for him. Like he's the only guy I've ever loved. And he's just like totally betrayed me, like ultimate betrayal. And so I'm thinking that and the Holy Spirit, he says, Jayla, what's your problem? And um, I'm like, what's my problem? I'm kind of like, are you serious? Are you asking me this? Okay, I'll tell you. If you if you don't know, I'll tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, it was August 9th, which is actually, I think you asked at the beginning of the podcast, which is actually our anniversary. Right. So he told me the day before. It wasn't intentional. It's, he didn't like try to be like, okay, all right. So our anniversary is August 9th. So let me make sure <laughs> I tell her August 8th so that August 9th can be missed. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's the yeah. way things happen. So the story can get worse for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, uh, today is my wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. I'm eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, with, with his second child. Um, uh, the person who I gave everything, my heart, everything has totally trampled on it and he's going to lose his job and I'm going to have to go home and live with my mom and all these things, I'm just making up all these, not making up, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listing the these things. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm just like, so that's, that's what my problem is because I was just like, yeah, just uh, rightly. So, well, I, I hate to use rightly, right. Cause we think that we have rights. My only right in the spirit is to be loved. Right. So, yeah. So I was just like going through this list and then the Holy spirit says, I want you to stay married to him. And I was like, okay, I do forgive him. I actually forgave him. That forgiveness that took place yesterday is fine. But I was not even thinking at this point that I would stay married with him. I was like, well, 
It will try not to have a nasty divorce. He can have joint custody of the kids. Like he's a great father. We'll make sure we live in the same town. Like we'll have, we'll have a good friendship. It won't be this thing. Like I'm talking dirty about the boy's dad in front of them or to other people. It's like, no, none of that. Like uh, I forgive him, but like, that's it. He lost out on this. He had a good thing and bye. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. So the Holy Spirit interrupts through that noise of me, like thinking like, Cause I, at this point, I'm not thinking I'm going to stay with him. Um, I've thought about, but then it's all, it's always like, no, no, he blew his chance. That's no, and I can't trust him ever again. No. But then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to stay with him. And I'm like, what? Come again. You, uh-huh. the, the, you, you said what? Mm-hmm. He says, I have changed him. And it was the exact words that I had been writing for over a year, like mm-hmm. change his heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He says, I have changed him. And I was just sad on that. And I couldn't shake it. I knew it wasn't my own thoughts because my thoughts were, bye, Felicia. Yeah. It was not stay married to him. So, (laughs) but I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I know his voice. And it was really thick and heavy this this past 24 hours. Like he was Mm -hmm. just so near to me and close to me. So later, a couple hours later, I text Eddie and I say, I'm going to stay married to you. That was it. And he's like, his text message back to me is like, what? Like shocked. And he's sending me like these like question marks and cry face emoji because he's in his mind thinking like, that's it. Because he that was one of the reasons why he didn't want to tell me that he had cheated. Because he's like, if I tell Jayla that I have cheated on her. She's not the type of woman that's just going to be like, okay, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Like she's going to leave me. And so he's just shocked. And so, um, and so then he picks up the phone or I don't know if he calls me, uh, maybe like a minute later, 30 seconds later, very soon after he calls me. And this is my second favorite part of the story. So the first part is when the Holy Spirit's like, don't take it personal. The second part is, Like the Holy Spirit knew that I was hesitant about even telling Eddie I was going to stay married to him. And he knew I didn't want to do it. And he knew like that I trusted him, that I trusted the Holy Spirit, but that I did not trust Eddie. Mm -hmm. And he also knew that I had my doubts, but that I was just acting in obedience. Mm -hmm. Because when he says I have changed him, to me, that was so vague, extremely vague. Because even when I wrote my journals, like change him, like I didn't even really know, like I just wanted him to love Jesus and I just didn't want us to be miserable, but I didn't even really know the, the complex, not even like really what I was asking. Right. And so I was just like, you've changed him. Like, so what? He's going to be responsible. He's going to set his alarm. He's not going to spend an hour in the bathroom. Like (laughs) he's going to be more disciplined. What does that even mean you've changed him? Right. And so Eddie calls and he's like, he, you know, you can hear him heavily breathing on the other end. And like, he's about to ask me, like, he's like, well, I mean, babe, and he's like crying. He can barely get out. He's like, what will happen? And like, before I even ask him, answer any of his questions, Holy Spirit says, Jayla, ask him this question. And I'm opening my mouth to ask him a question. And I don't even know what the question is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I say, Eddie, do you have any guilt or shame? Now, that's wild to me. Mm-hmm. That's wild. 
I say, Eddie, do you have any guilt or shame? Mm. That's the question I ask him. When the first question, when I officially invite him back into our home, when I say that I'm going to stay married to him, it's not, how do I know that I can trust you? How do I know that you're not going to do this again? How do I know that you find, don't, how do I know that you find me beautiful or that you're attracted to me? It's not that. It's like, do you have guilt or shame? And I had been on a study uh, for months prior to that about guilt and shame. And the conclusion of it was that guilt and shame are never from God, ever. Mm -hmm. They're always from the enemy. <clears throat> and, you know, God did not, <laughs> God, yeah, th that's it, period. They're, they're never from God. Um, so I asked him, I asked him that question and he's like, uh, well, you're probably not going to like this because in the past, like sometimes he would just tell me what he thought I wanted to hear just to shut me up and in the argument. He was like, well, you're probably not going to like this. He's like, but no, I don't have any guilt or shame. And when he said that a huge weight lifted off my shoulders, Wow, huge. That question was not for Eddie. That question was for Jayla, 100%. That question was for me because I have my reservations. I have my doubts about mm -hmm. going back into the marriage. That question was like a lifeline that the Holy Spirit threw to me. He's like, you're trusting me. You're inviting him back here, asking this question. So when he said, no, he didn't have any guilt or shame, a huge weight lifted off my chest. And I knew that he had been changed because if he had said, yes, I have guilt and shame. I knew that he would still be in the clutches of the devil. Mm. Wow. That's profound. That's crazy. <laughs> but he said no. And I knew that he had been hand, he had been touched by the hand of God. After like 24 hours after he told me this devastating news, he's saying, I don't have guilt or shame. And he didn't know that I was even studying about guilt or shame. I didn't share any of this with him because I didn't even want to talk to him about what I was sharing because he didn't even care. He wouldn't even listen. And he said, no. And I knew that he had been changed on a deeper level. But I didn't understand like how deep it was. So we get back and um, like the first thing I noticed about him is his physical appearance. Hmm. Because that last year, the year like seven of our marriage, like his eyes just looked like, you know, when people are sad or down or depressed, you just, they don't have any light in their eyes. Like I see him 48 hours later and he has light in his eyes. Mm. And that just totally just changes his countenance, his face. Like he's, he's done this horrible thing to me. He's disappointed his church members, his church family. He's going to lose his job. But even amidst all that, his reputation, amidst all that, like he has joy. And that was supernatural. Like his, his, his face was just different. And then we're doing life like two, three days, two, three weeks, two, three months. And this man who would always like try to be someone or try to do things or try to accomplish things, he was no longer trying. He had just become. Let me ask you this question. When... He goes like a week later and he gets fired. Mm -hmm. When did when did you start thinking we're going to be okay? Did him getting fired did that shake you or were you like oh that's going to happen that's mm. no that's a, no doubt he's going to get fired. And I, not knowing the storm that was going to come were you just like 
That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. When did I know that we were going to be okay? Very early on. Very early on. Now, that doesn't mean the flesh didn't rise up and like give me my doubts because I'm like, this is too good to be true. This can't, like, we can't be this good. Like, this, this doesn't, I've never seen this before. <laughs> As if because I haven't seen it before, it can't happen. Right. But right. I'm just like, this is too good to be true. <clears throat> so early on in my heart of heart, I, I knew that we would be okay because we were already okay. We were already fine. We were more than fine. But then I was just like, this is too good to be true. But then the Holy Spirit would be like, yeah, but am I too good to be true? Okay. Right. And so I would so try when, to talk. When you get back, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but mm. you guys didn't have like all these conversations about the actual cheating. No, we, we talked about it. Yeah. Like I saw a therapist, he saw a therapist, we saw one together. We had all the conversations, the hard conversations, but amidst that, I just knew we were going to be okay because there was so much peace that I had, so much peace that he had. There was so much honesty and transparency that took place. He was just a changed man. He was the biggest, the second biggest miracle, right? Because mine was um, how I responded in the whole situation and just my heart towards him. But then just how he had changed, like just a huge miracle. And I was in shock. And there were days when I was crying, not because he had cheated on me, but I was crying because of God's faithfulness. Like, you want to make me cry? Let's just start, start talking about God's goodness. Let's just start talking about how faithful he is. Let's just start talking about his love for me. That gets me every time. Mm. Sometimes when I tell the story, like I'll tear up or I'll start to cry and people are like, oh, she's getting teary eyed because she's remembering how he hurt her. No, no, no. I'm getting teary eyed because God is so faithful. He's so good. That's the only thing that brings me to tears. Mercy. And so like we're seeing this therapist and this counselor and, and we're having the conversation and I'm asking him everything. Because I don't want to, I'd rather know than just leave it up to my wild imagination. How many times, what positions, what did you do? All the conversations, let me see the ones that you didn't delete. Um, all, everything, I just want to know everything. And that's hard to swallow, that's hard to see. But even in, in that, I'm okay, I have peace, we're really good. Yeah. It's just wild, I mean, it's, it's, it's only because you have two people walking in the spirit. And not just one. <laughs> you have two people walking in the spirit. And he was just being forthright and honest yeah, about all of it. Yeah, forthright and honest. And, and sometimes I've asked him to, oh, did yeah. Did it look painful for him to, to say it? Uh, yeah, of course. It looked painful. And he, but he just wanted to minister to me the best way that he knew how. And that was to, to being honest. And if, even if I asked the same question five times, like, I know I already asked this, but um, he would answer it. And he didn't make me feel, not that he should have, but he didn't make me feel like bad or like, we are going over this. Why are you asking this question again? I already told you. He's just like, yeah, he told me. He wasn't defensive. Wasn't like, well, if you would have done this or that, he just accepting and taking responsibility for the part he played in the relationship with that other woman. Um, yeah, and it was crazy because I, at that time, he had got me on to Dan Moeller. Um, I was listening to Dan and it didn't really make sense. It wasn't really clicking, although he speaks very simple. Um, but I kept listening and then finally it just started to click. And he had this sermon 
And it was talking about like when bad things happen to the good people, because something that I really wrestled with, and I would talk to Dave, my counselor, um, I would say to him, um, I, I kept thinking like, maybe I was in denial because I would say to Dave, I'm like, Dave, I'm really good. Like, I'm really good. Am I, I mean, help me understand. Am I missing something? Like, like it's only been like three, four months after this has all happened. And I'm just so good. Like Eddie and I are so good. And I'm okay. And because my whole life I have been told, like, you shouldn't be okay. From Christians, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be okay. But I'm sitting here thinking, like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm actually really good. I'm okay. And Dave was just like, Jayla, like, you seem good to me. You seem okay to me. He's like, you're very straightforward. You're very open and honest with your with your feelings. Uh, and he's an older guy. Like he's been doing this for at least 20 years. He was mm-hmm. in his 60s. Like, so at least probably 30, maybe mm-hmm. 40. I don't know. A long time. And he's just like, I was like, okay, because I'm I'm good. And I, I, I feel like maybe I shouldn't be good, but I am good. He's like, seem good to me. Mm-hmm. So then I was listening to, and he actually, after a couple of months of seeing him, he was actually like, you guys are good. If you want to continue sessions with me, fine. But you don't need to. Mm. But check in from time to time. We haven't checked in. Like I send them a Christmas card. That's my checking in. I'm mm. grateful. <laughs> but <laughs> that's how we check in. Merry Christmas. Here's our cute family photo. Like that's the checking in. But um, so I was listening to this Dan Muller sermon. And he was talking about when bad things happen, you know, to Christian godly people. And he said, um, so many Christians live their life um, like, well, God and I are good as long as things are good. Right. Everything's going good job, good, good opportunities, good marriage, whatever. Kids are being behaving. So me and God are good. But when things start going wrong, like, oh, God, how can you let this happen? And my job or my spouse isn't treating me this way or my kids are this and that. And then all of a sudden they got, you know, things are not going well with them and God. He's like, but what about. Living a life where when things go wrong, you and God are always good. Hmm. And that was something that was so simple. And he kept saying the word good. And I was saying to my counselor, Dave, like, I'm good. And it was the it was the use of the word good that was repeated over and over by Dan. Uh, that's when the light bulb clicked on for me. And I finished the sermon. And the Holy Spirit said to me, my third favorite part of the story, I got favorite parts, right? Yeah. He says, Jayla, he says, you're good. Because you and I are good. Mm. And I was like, oh, duh. Like, it's so simple, right? Mm. But I had never heard anyone in the church tell me like, well, you don't have to fall apart when bad things happen. Like, it it looks like this. But it didn't look like that for me. Because I was walking in the Holy Spirit and I was listening to him every step of the way. So I was good. Mm. Didn't mean the things around me, the circumstances around me were good. But I was good in my mind and in my heart. Because it doesn't matter what happens in my circumstances. It's what's in the mind. Hmm. And don't fear him who can destroy the body. <laughs> right? Hmm. Do what you want with my body. But my soul and my mind, it belongs to the Holy Spirit. It belongs to the God. And, and I know where it's going. And so he was just like, you're good because you and I are good. 
oh, duh. And after that, I never wrestled with it again. I'm like, it doesn't matter if people believe me. I don't have to explain myself when I'm on the phone. Because I would talk to my friends on the phone and they'd be like, how are you doing? I would try to like kind of explain like why I'm good. I'm like, no, I'm done explaining. This is between me and God. They're not going to understand it. Very few people will. I'm just going to live my life because my life is good. It's awesome. It still remains good and awesome. God just keeps getting better. I fall more and more in love with him. I'm totally crazy about him. Eddie and I are totally crazy about each other. This is not a phase. Jesus has my life. I'll love him more tomorrow. I'll love him more 20 years from now. I'll do anything for him. I'll go anywhere for him. I love him more than my children. I love him more than my husband. I love him more than my life. I love him more than anything. I have an awesome life. There's nothing wrong with it. He's awesome. I'm good. (laughs) And I mean that. That's the truth. Jayla, let me say this, and I think this is a good spot to wrap this thing up. And I know we're going to continue, and we'll bring Eddie on, and and we'll talk about what happened next uh, in a a different podcast. But if, if you're listening to this thing, and I just want you to speak to someone who's listening to this thing that hasn't had that experience, that um, something happened and they were taking it personally, not because they wanted to, mm-hmm. they just didn't know any other way, and it really hurt them and things have fallen apart. What could you say to someone now that's listening to this, um, and what kind of life could you speak to them about what you know is true about them? Mm. Yeah. What would I say to that person who has been hurt? Yeah. The same thing the Holy Spirit told me. It's not personal. You're known. You're loved. God sees you. He hears you. He's with you. He's faithful. And if you're desiring to have an experience where you can be free from the hurt, from the damage, from the trauma that has been given to you, you have that freedom now. Like it's yours now, right now, today. You have to believe it by faith. You ask for it. You might be thinking, but it's too simple. Yeah, the gospel is that simple. It's that good. So if you're hearing this and and your heart and your soul is crying out and saying, I want that. Well, good news, you have it. Because the mere fact that you want it means that you already have it. You just have to recognize it. You have to acknowledge it. There's a better way. And the way that you're living, God's still blessing you. God's still bringing goodness, but there's a better way. And you can live in that way. It's a good one. Thanks for coming on, Jayla. We'll uh, we'll continue this, but thank you so much. Thank you for kicking it. Yes, I love you, Richard. Love you too. I'll talk to you. All right, bye. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel it, freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life. And let's get that hashtag going. 
This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.